Miracy. If you as the course creator are more focused on information and techniques and results, maybe it would help to have a collaborator who's a designer, an artist, you know, an actor, you know, so someone who brings a, a different creative perspective. So that I thought was really, really cool and helpful way to approach things. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their course. Today, we're going to bring on a course builder who has taken the industry by storm. Bradley Morris, one of the minds behind Magic Media, is a course designer who has produced a plethora of content. He now teaches entrepreneurs like you how to do the same. Bradley, great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me here. So we go way back, but for people who don't know you, what's your story? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? Give us the 30,000 foot. All right. 2007, I accidentally launched a viral video on YouTube with a couple buddies called The Gratitude Dance. And that set me off on a journey of speaking tours around North America. And then I started teaching meditation workshops in 2009. And between that and 2012, I taught about 500 workshops and retreats around the world and got burnt out from teaching too much meditation. So I decided at that point that I was going to build a meditation library. And that was my transition to the digital space of building my online business. And we started questioning about six years ago, how do we build the ultimate learning experience for students. And so that was when we took my love for sketch comedy and entertainment, and we looked at how people consume media online, which is a lot to do with, uh, they watch entertaining videos, they listen to music and podcasts, they participate in conversations on social media. And so we wanted to redesign the online education experience. And, and one of our claims to fame is using entertainment as the vehicle to teach and transform. So for the last six or so years, We've built a bunch of courses. We've worked with leaders and influencers in a variety of different industries and supported them to build their courses, their platforms, communities, memberships, all the jazz. So Bradley, you have a very particular perspective and approach to creating content that is engaging. Talk us through how you approach that. Well, I think that one of the things I realized when we were really exploring this path is we had more fun than I've ever had in all my years of entrepreneurship at producing our courses. And what we've come to realize is the more fun we have in our creative element, building the products that we've built, the more fun people are going to have experiencing and listening. And so like pouring our creative gifts and our heart and our soul into the offerings as a gesture to ensure that the student who's going to be paying us money to sign up for whatever it is that we've created, that really translates. It really, really translates. And, and it has. So translate the process and outcomes into what does it look like and what are you teaching other people to do? So we have a variety of courses. We have courses about building courses. We have courses on creating memberships and online communities, courses on green screen production, video production, creating partnerships, pre-sales. But we've also expanded into, we produced a course called Survive the Storms that was 
how to create your seven-day survival plan if you were ever hit with an unexpected emergency. And so regardless of what the course or the topic is, we go through a very similar process. And we look at three different pillars. So the first pillar we look at when we're approaching the idea of creating a new course is the curriculum. So what is the information that's being taught? And we have to really flesh out the information and the step-by-step process. Because when somebody joins an online course, as you know, our job as the guide is to take them from base camp to the top of the mountain. And the quickest, easiest, safest possible way to ensure their success. And so in order to do that, we have to ensure that the information being presented is done so succinctly and in a step-by-step manner that gets them to the top as quickly as possible. From there, once we have the curriculum designed and we understand the information and the step-by-step journey, then we look at the experience. So how do we take this information and deliver it in a unique and exciting way that keeps people on the path so that they can actually get to the top of the mountain. And the experiences that we look at is, I mean, some would call it gamification, but how do you actually engage people to get them to participate in the next lesson, take some form of real world action, and then move on in their journey? So the experience, we coined a term called themification, which is by giving your course a theme, you turn it into a world and the student becomes a character inside that world. So For some of our courses, uh, the Great E-Course Adventure was a journey to the top of the mountain. So it's kind of like Indiana Jones meets Saturday Night Live, and we're the adventure guides that lead you to the top. In Green Screen Magic, where we teach you how to produce media magic, basically, magic tricks using a green screen, we were magicians, and you are the magician's apprentice, learning how to perform these illusions. So the idea of themification is... You can create these worlds for people to come into, which makes them much more exciting. And then after experience, and there's other other things as well, um, but after experience is the accountability, the community components. So having a space where it's not just about the information, it's about the connection to both the teacher as well as the other peers. So having that sort of accountability, because if we go to university, at least pre-COVID, <laughs> if we're in a classroom, we can't be sitting there scrolling Facebook because we're accountable to the teacher, we're accountable to the other students, we need to pay attention. And so we need to, to engineer an experience for people where they can go from start to finish in the, the easiest way possible. So us with the curriculum experience and community, it's really helped us to engineer each of those particular pillars in building online courses. So I'm assuming that you both do these things and teach these things. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I work with a lot of aspiring course creators as well. And what they typically have in common is that they're experts in their various subject areas. And so the curriculum usually is not that hard. I mean, you know, you lean on best practices of instructional design, et cetera. But when it comes to the making it fun, the themification, the storytelling, the um, let's actually focus on that. We'll get to the accountability in a moment. Those are things that don't come naturally (laughs) to everyone. So like this is in your wheelhouse. How do you get to minimum viable with people for whom this is not their strength? So I would say a great minimal viable product for somebody that wants to try their hand in doing things how we do which is making a work of art, is start with one lesson. 
come up with a lesson, whether it's a two-minute video, a three-minute video, or a five-minute video, and teach a really specific topic that leads the viewer to a specific outcome. And go through the creative process of designing the curriculum and then finding an artist if you're not that artist, whether it's a student or it's a local designer in your area, and spend a little bit of money to play with them and bring this lesson to life. And then from that, if you can make one video lesson, you'll understand the work that it takes to produce a course in this way. And you'll understand the budget. It doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, one of the things, because money is often the the piece that stops people is if you are building a course library, the way that I've always approached it, especially in the days where I didn't have budget to hire people, is I would find the artists that I loved who usually didn't have much money and didn't have a whole lot going on other than their own creative stuff. They would often be excited at the opportunity to do some form of profit sharing business partnership. It's like, hey, you've got the art, I've got the teaching, and I've got an audience. I'll pay you a percentage of sales that we make on this course if you become my producer. And I've seen this again and again over the years. I have done this again and again over the years. And it can be a win-win for everyone, even if you have no budget to hire these artists. This makes a lot of sense. It's really cool to think about for a lot of different courses. I'm curious how you approach or how would you work with course creators who feel like they can't sort of make their topic entertaining, I guess. Like the topic that comes to mind is we interviewed, you know, someone earlier on the show who is an expert in workplace safety. It's a very like not only business oriented, but also a very serious topic because people's health and lives are at stake. So yeah, just curious, how do you approach something that fits into a more A corporate or B like very serious or formal topic? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it really, it comes down to what is the personality of the course. When we build something, you know, we're essentially creating a new entity. And that entity needs a personality. And the issue and the problem with the majority of online education content out there is that it lacks personality. The personality is just not there. That's why it falls flat. That's why people drop off. So for something around, say, workplace safety, how could you produce that as a spoof or parody to show people what not to do in a humorous way so that they actually want to pay attention? So I think it just takes putting on the creative thinking cap of like, hey, we've got this curriculum. What are some possible theme ideas that we could throw into a hat? Like, it's just throw them up against the board. It's like, okay, with the party themed ideas, like, okay, if we were going with the party themed ideas, how does the party theme translate into how the content is actually delivered? So then you have to distill like, okay, well, let's come up with a bunch of metaphors that match the tech setup process. Let's figure out where are all the locations at the party that are happening. And once you open the can of worms, it's like for us, every time we've done it, the floodgates pour in, the ideas start coming in, and and then the fun really does begin. So I'd say for somebody who's thinking like, okay, I don't have a theme, what do I do? I've got this boring topic. Find somebody whether it's the artist or whatever, who can help be a creative reflector for you to pull out of you because it might not be your job to come up with the creative ideas. You're the curriculum person. You might need help to make this the best course you possibly can. So that's 
those are just some pieces and some examples of what we found works. And I guess like, one of the other pieces is this day and age, you know, this has been a transition piece for us over the last couple of years that we've been coaching a lot of people around is video is less necessary than it used to be because so many people are plugging into their ears and doing audio. So in some cases, you know, having a course that is just really high quality audio is completely doable. The first meditation course I ever launched was just, I had an intro video for the beginning of each week. And then the rest of it was just audio practices every day. And that is something that that still stands true. So for people who are in the transformation space specifically, guided audios instead of videos is is almost better because it brings people into their bodies and into themselves rather than watching a screen. So just little tip there is you may not have to do videos and everything. So I'm curious about the accountability of the community because your your structure is kind of an open ongoing membership. So there's absolutely an energizing and momentum creating effect to being in a community with other people who are working on stuff. But the fact of a membership being open-ended as opposed to, you know, I'm going through this six-week course and so I'm on track to, you know, complete these milestones, you know, not having that will have an effect in terms of people's momentum as well. How have you balanced those things to keep people moving forward without the implied deadlines of, you know, milestones in a fixed cohort-based program? Absolutely. I mean, I would definitely agree with you that fixed cohorts, beginning, middle, end with a group of people, it is the best. It is the best way to get people through to get them results so that they know. The evergreen model, which at the moment our membership is, we're going through some changes that are going to be implemented. At the moment, it's evergreen. And for me, it's a lifestyle thing. It is a personal lifestyle choice that I don't want to always be launching. I only want to work with people who are really committed and self-accountable. I'm an extremely self-accountable person. And those are the types of people that I want to work with because for me personally, I'm not here to babysit. I'm here to support people that are doing the work and I'm here to guide them and show them the next steps. And we've built a content library and we coach and we give people the next steps that they need to take. But if they're not going to take the steps, then I'm not going to be at fault for that. And that's personally for me, a lifestyle choice that has helped me to turn my work days from eight or nine hours to six hours. And and I would say like for the average program, if you can, if it works for you, if it's in alignment with your own lifestyle, your business model and your teaching philosophy to have people begin middle end at the same time, it's great. But after launching programs and courses for, you know, over a decade, I just, I didn't really feel inspired to do that much anymore. And for us as well, at Magic Media, a lot of our focus the last few years has been on partnerships. So we've started to work with leaders and influencers and supporting them to build their thing. Cool. Bradley, on the topic of business models, I know that you've gone through quite a number of iterations of the business model, the structure, the pricing, the access setup. You don't have to walk us through all of them, but I'm curious, what are some of the things that you've done that you either, you're like, oh, wow, that didn't work, or you know, that worked great, but just not for me, or like, what are some learnings along the way that you can share? So I think it was about two years ago, I announced a six-month experiment that was basically, you know, we're dropping our prices to $0.00. You can join our community for free. You can get all of our courses for free, all of our articles. You can ask us questions. 
and you can pay, I think it was like a couple hundred bucks a month or 400 bucks a month, somewhere in there for a mastermind and then client work. And so I had a few metrics that I was looking to see how they fared out. And in the end, after six months, it was a massive fail. You know, we, we did grow our community, but the majority of people there were looky lures. Our, our completion rates on courses went down because people weren't paying, they weren't invested. Our community engagement, even though our community was, God, like 10 times bigger, our community engagement actually went down because there was less safety, less intimacy, less accountability. And, you know, our mastermind didn't fill up as much as we thought it would. It was a massive failure. So then we're like, okay, we're $35 a month. Now we're going to go to $99 a month. And that's gone well. But even now, as we're building our team, it's still not exactly where I want it to be. And so one of the models that we're looking at exploring is like opening quarterly. And it's going to be $5,000 a year. And you'll get a lot more coaching. We're going to have four coaches in the community. There's going to be a lot more calls, a lot more support. There'll be personal accountability check-ins every two weeks. There'll be quarterly coaching with you get to choose your coach. There's just going to be a lot more hands-on support. It's going to cost more money. And for people that can't afford it, it's more or less for us, it's finding alignment that oh and there'll be an application process so people have to apply to to get in instead of just like coming and looky looing and joining for a couple months but not really getting the results and the reason we're making it a year commitment is because building your online business whether you're producing courses or building a membership site it is like a university degree if you're on year one it's going to take you two years three years four years to like really see traction to really boost your confidence in your business skills to learn all the tech that you need to learn so we want people to to really be in it to win it. And for us as creators, yeah, and I'm sure for you guys as well, like the most satisfying thing is to see the people that you've been working with and cheerleading and giving advice to actually applying it and succeeding in, in the ways that they aspired to. Great. Thank you. Cool. Abe, do you have anything else you want to ask about? No, I think I'm good if you are. Bradley Morris is a social entrepreneur who teaches course builders how to make their content as bingeable as possible. His services range from business coaching to meditation courses and can all be found on his website, magicmedia.com. That's M-A-J-I-K media.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Danny, uh, what were some of your takeaways here? Definitely a different kind of perspective on online courses that we got from Bradley. Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of really interesting things to pull out of this, but I think as a kind of meta or macro point, there is just a really fun energy being brought to the work as in, you know, let's find the fun, let's enjoy this, you know, in terms of the work of the themification that he talked about that I think is relevant in a lot of cases, maybe not every case, but you know, I think that could be used in a lot of cases to make the course more interesting to kind of have that unifying metaphor. But also when you talked about the experimentation with different business models, right? Like people often have a very heavy energy of, you know, I've got to get it right. What if I get it wrong? What if it doesn't work? And he was like, 
no, let's try it. That's the only way you're going to know. And then we'll try something else. And some of the attempts were very successful, some less so. I think that spirit of playful experimentation and looking for the fun is a big part of what gives people who do this well the longevity to get to a place of doing it well. Well, it seemed like he kind of had to learn that the hard way. And maybe that's the only way to, to truly learn that lesson. But he, he spoke about working so hard at growing his meditation training business that he basically burned himself out and had to find an alternative way of, of approaching his work. But hopefully maybe people could learn from his experience and, and head that off at the pass. Yeah, and, and that's a fair point that, you know, it's a fairly common pattern of, you know, you work really hard on whatever you're building. Then you get to a point where like, you know, okay, you've pushed too far and you're like, okay, I need to ease off a little bit. But having worked so hard, you have this asset that's producing results and revenues. And yes, you're tired, you're burned out, not to, to discount the unpleasantness of that. But, you know, you're able to operate from a place of having a little more freedom and flexibility than when you were starting at zero. Yeah. So like the frame shift that Bradley advocates for in terms of actually approaching course design is the idea. I mean, there were two things that I took away from it. One is just approaching course design with more of a spirit of fun and creativity. And I really, really like that. And I also like the ideas of trying to collaborate with people who can bring in more of that perspective, right? Like if, if you as the course creator are more focused on information and techniques and results, maybe it would help to have a collaborator who's a designer, an artist, you know, an actor, you know, someone who brings a, a different creative perspective. So that I thought was really, really cool and, and helpful way to approach things. The part I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with a bit is, is this idea of themification or the idea that courses need to be organized around some theme or metaphor that's different from the actual topic, but attempts to become more engrossing in some way. So I, I don't know, I guess I'm curious if you think that, like, how applicable is that model? Is it something that every course creator should be looking at and applying it where they can? Is it more useful in like certain niches or certain types of courses? Where is that? the right approach, I guess, is what I was left wondering. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. And you know, I don't think that it fits in every case. But I also think that the gut reaction that a lot of course creators might have of this is good for me or this is not good for me might not be accurate, right? And so I think it is a valuable thought experiment to really play with it and sit with the idea and kind of say, ask yourself, what if? What if I were to do it this way? What would it look like? Ultimately, it'll be determined by the temperament of the students you want to serve, the people who are going to go through your course. You know, some people will respond well to this fun structure. Some subject matters will benefit from it. Some people just don't, right? Not everybody likes to play games. Not everybody likes to have things dressed up in metaphor. But I think a lot more people do than might think they do. And so probably the thought exercise is most useful with the subject matter that you have the initial gut reaction the most of like, no, this isn't right for me. So I would encourage people to dive into it and really play and sit with it, but not to feel you have to do it, but it's worth the exploration. Yeah, that makes sense. So like just investing some time in some lateral thinking, right? Like we can get very caught up in traditional models of course design that tend to be more linear. They tend to be dominated by more formal academic experiences. And they're, they're not necessarily exploring these really interesting areas of how can just literally ask, how can I make my course fun? You know, how can I make it more of a game or a form of entertainment for people, not purely a formalized learning experience? 
And it's also important to keep in mind that it's not just about making it fun. It's not just about gamification, right? One of the core ideas or tenets of instructional design is scaffolding, right? Ideas get built on top of ideas we've already internalized. Well, fundamentally, what we're talking about is taking an overarching idea that we are very familiar with, you know, climbing a mountain or whatever it is, and mapping the learning journey that is unfamiliar onto that. So in addition to it being fun and engaging, this is also a very effective scaffolding vehicle, as long as, again, you've chosen a metaphor that is relatable and connectable for people. Yeah, makes sense. I guess one final small point, and then we can wrap up, is I thought it was also interesting a suggestion that video is perhaps becoming less expected or less critical among some learners. I don't know that that's the kind of thing that we can really have or even get clear data on, but it was interesting to hear that assessment that perhaps the growth of podcasts and other forms of audio that you listen to on the go has shifted people's expectations for how they would participate in a course as well. Well, in the context of that point is also important. I don't think Bradley was saying that, you know, you never need to use video. But in the context of minimum viable, you really want to focus on what is the minimum viable to deliver that transformation. And, you know, sometimes that high produced video content really isn't necessary. It's just not something that the subject matter really calls for. So that's not to say you're never going to do it. But in terms of prioritizing where do I invest my energy and time and resources in first, second, and third? You start with the things that are most critical to that transformation. Yeah. All right. I think that puts a bow on it. All right. You want to do the readout? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Dan Eady, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Gobertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. One last thanks to Bradley Morris for coming onto the show today. Remember that you can check out everything Bradley has to offer over at magicmedia.com. That's magic with a J and a K. So M-A-J-I-K media.com. And to make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Abe? Yep, just trolling to it. Fell asleep to the long-winded answer. I guess maybe he's having tech issues. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. 
So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.